The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Dr. Nancy Collins. She is a fellow registered dietitian, but she's got a unique specialty. She is certified in wound care and is known nationally for her expertise in the complex relationship between malnutrition, body composition, and tissue regeneration. Dr. Collins has over 25 years of hands-on practitioner experience in clinical nutrition, and she's published over 100 articles on the topic of wound healing. She is also highly regarded as a medico-legal expert dealing with the issues of regulatory compliance and the applicable standard of care in negligence, wrongful death, and malpractice lawsuits. In fact, she has served as an expert witness in more than 500 legal matters. She is currently on the board of directors of the American Professional Wound Care Association. She is based in Las Vegas, Nevada, but speaks nationally at wound care conferences. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, I am thrilled to talk to you because in my reading about wounds, I realized that they are actually quite prevalent. And I saw one statistic. It said chronic wounds, meaning those that have not healed in 12 weeks affect approximately 6.5 million patients in the United States annually at a cost of $25 billion. So I think there is a huge role for nutrition, and I don't know how many of our listeners might not realize that dietitians play a key role in helping wounds heal faster. Now, you mentioned that we really need to broaden our perspective on wounds. So when you talk about wound care, What are you talking about specifically? Well, it's funny because when I travel, which I do quite frequently, and I tell people that I'm in wound care, they always remark something along the lines of, oh, do you mean like a gunshot wound? And while certainly a gunshot wound is one type of wound, and obviously that's what comes to people's mind, there's a whole array of different wounds out there. So, for instance, I treat a lot of patients who have diabetes, and you might get a diabetic foot ulcer if you do not take proper care of your diabetes. There's other patients who've had surgery. Maybe they've had a knee replacement or they've had open heart surgery and those surgical wounds don't heal properly, those incisions. There's other patients who have grandparents and parents and relatives in nursing homes who develop what's commonly known as bed sores, but in the industry what we call pressure injuries. So there's a whole array of different wounds out there, and it can even be something as simple as a burn There are many people who have circulation problems and maybe get an arterial or a venous ulcer. So there's a lot of different things that can happen to your skin, and we would classify all of these as wounds. And as you said, if they haven't healed in 12 weeks, then it would be termed a chronic wound. How common is that for wounds not to heal? It's more common than you would think. You would think, oh, I'm going to have surgery, and you're worried about the surgery. You're not worried about the incision so much. But I have plenty of patients who've had mommy makeovers and tummy tucks and even hysterectomies where obviously that's necessary for a hysterectomy. And then that wound, that incision, just doesn't heal properly. So it's really quite common. 
especially if you are not well nourished to begin with and you're not getting in the proper nutrition to rebuild that new tissue in order to heal that wound. I'm curious about that comment about if you're not well nourished. So we've both been in practice for decades, and I've come to the conclusion that malnutrition is probably more common than we like to think just because the quality of our diet seems to be so inadequate. You know, we have so much processed food. I don't see high quality diets being the norm as much as I wish I did. Well, yes, I definitely agree with that statement. There's a lot of people who rely on fast food and convenience foods and maybe aren't getting all of the vitamins and minerals that you would need to heal a wound. And then one of the things that a lot of people are very delinquent on is vitamin D, D as in dog. We're so worried about skin cancers, as we should be, that everyone's covered up in sunscreen. And so I run into a lot of people who have very low vitamin D levels when we go ahead and test that. And of course, low vitamin D is one of the things that can hold you back from healing your wound properly. That's such an important point, because if you think of someone who, say, is in a hospital for a prolonged period of time or in a care institution, they do not get out and get exposure to the sunshine. Absolutely. And even people who are not in any sort of a facility, everyone's worried, you know, especially females and even men worried about wrinkles and sun damage and sunspots that we cover up in sunscreen and we definitely make an effort to stay out of the sun. So really there's millions of people out there who are walking around with very low vitamin D levels, but that's not something that's routinely even tested. So a lot of people may not even be aware that they are low on it. Well, when you see a patient, what are you looking at? Let's focus on vitamin D for a minute because there's been recommendations that I've seen even at our professional conferences where the recommendations are all over the place. So let's say you've got a patient, you want to have a vitamin D drawn. What vitamin D are you looking at specifically and what measures would you like to see to say that that patient is well-nourished? Well, you're looking for levels that are 30 and above. So when you look at your lab results yourself, you're looking for a number that's greater than 30. If you're below 30, that would be considered delinquent or deficient, I guess would be a better word. Okay. And now there are different measures of vitamin D depending on the lab that's drawing the blood. Which measure do you want to look for? Right. So there are the different measures are dependent if you have any sort of a kidney disease or renal impairment. There are different measures for those people. But other than that, everyone else is looking at, I believe it's the hydroxy vitamin D level. Okay. And you want it to make sure that it's 30 or greater. And I guess that's nanograms Correct. per milliliter? Is yes. That, right. Okay. Great. That's a good rule of thumb. Now, specifically with wounds, there are people who have elective surgeries, they're going into the hospital, they know that they're going to have a wound to heal. What kind of advice would you give them prior to having the surgery? Well, if you have time to prepare before surgery, of course, sometimes we know surgeries are emergent and you may not have time. But if you have time to prepare, I would definitely recommend that you take a multivitamin to begin with and then make sure that you're taking in an adequate amount of vitamin C, some zinc, and getting enough protein and enough calories. This isn't the time to be starting some sort of a weight loss diet or starting to restrict what you're eating. And then, of course, you want to be properly hydrated before that surgery. We do follow something now called Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, which we would pronounce as EROS. 
an EROS protocol. So this whole idea of not eating anything, what we would call NPO, nothing by mouth before surgery, and restricting all your liquids before surgery, sometimes for many, many hours, that's kind of a more old-style thinking now. And so you should definitely ask your physician if he follows an EROS protocol and how this will affect the period of time that you're not supposed to eat anything before surgery. What we've learned is that it's better to stay a little bit hydrated and have a carbohydrate load prior to surgery. Oh, interesting. So how much carbohydrate would you recommend prior to surgery? Well, it depends what type of surgery because there are protocols if it's gynecological surgery or oncology surgery. So it's different for every type of surgery. And then, of course, it's what protocol you're surgeon follows and what he believes in. But there's even now pre-made, pre-surgery carbohydrate loading drinks that you would take the day before. And then depending again on the facility that you're having your surgery at, perhaps up to about six hours before your surgery, you would load another maybe about 40 grams of carbohydrate. Hmm. That's so interesting. You know, years ago, my first job, I remember was at the Veterans Hospital. And at the time, People would be, you know, nothing by mouth prior to surgery, and then sometimes the surgery would be canceled. And you'd have patients going into surgery who hadn't eaten or had been on a clear liquid diet for maybe a day or two. And I kept thinking, my goodness, you know, this can't be beneficial for healing. Right. And of course, I've seen that many times before, but I think that that people are coming to realize that that's really obviously not an optimal situation for any sort of healing. And we're really getting away from that now. I had someone the other day tell me a patient that her surgery was scheduled for 8 a.m. So her last meal was the night before she had a snack about 10 p.m. And then her surgery was bumped and she didn't actually have surgery until about 2 p.m. So that's a rather long period, almost a full 24 hours that she's going without anything to eat. And we have found that that's obviously not the best way to get back on your feet as quickly as everyone would hope to. Right. All right. Let's go into some of the nitty gritty recommendations. You mentioned vitamin C, you mentioned zinc and protein. The protein recommendations for the average healthy adult is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. That would be 0.36 grams of protein per pound of body weight. What is the recommendation for prior to surgery and then following surgery and if we've got a chronic wound? Right. So, okay. So I just want to remind you that, of course, these are general recommendations. Correct. And of course, everybody's medical situation is different. Right. So it again, when you, you always have to worry about someone's kidney function when you're recommending that they increase protein. And anytime you increase protein, you want to make sure that someone's getting an adequate amount of fluids with that as well. Right. So that said, just keep in mind that every, I don't know everyone's particular medical situation and everyone has their unique medical history. But that said, certainly we're looking at higher than the 0.8 grams. The recommendations for pressure injuries in particular are is more like 1.25 to 1.5 grams of protein for every kilogram of body weight. So what do those numbers mean? That's not the typical way we would talk about protein. But you want to make sure that you're getting probably, again, it depends on your weight, if you're male or female, and your other conditions, but you're looking at probably at least 12 ounces of protein a day to meet the minimum requirements. Mm -hmm. So for the average person, that's 
quite a bit. And sometimes you might have to rely on a supplement to meet these higher, more elevated levels. There's plenty of liquid proteins available where you can just take a one-ounce little shooter of this flavored liquid protein. And again, depending on the specific product you use, that can be anywhere from 10 to 15 grams of protein. So sometimes, obviously, if you're having surgery, maybe you're not feeling that well, and it's going to be difficult for you to sit down and eat a very large meal consisting of, you know, a 10-ounce T-bone or something like that. It just doesn't happen. So sometimes we have to rely on some of these supplements to help meet the goals. Right. And then what about specific kinds of protein or specific amino acids? You know, these are the building blocks of protein. And of course, we've seen recommendations for, say, people who want to build muscle. There's recommendations to increase whey protein in particular. Do you have recommendations on specific amino acids? Yes. Obviously, amino acids are what constitutes protein. Protein is made up of a variety of the 20 different amino acids. And of these 20, there are some that are closely linked to wound healing, particularly arginine and glutamine. Those are both very important in wound healing. And your body is able to, through the process of digestion, break down, let's say, the steak or the chicken or the eggs you're eating and take those component amino acids and then it rebuilds them into the ones that it needs. But what the research has shown is that even though your body is making its own arginine and glutamine every day, when you have a stress upon your body, such as a surgery or a chronic wound, you're using a lot more of the arginine and glutamine than your body can produce by itself. So sometimes we go ahead and we supplement those amino acids as well. And there's all sorts of supplements available. I like one that's a powdered drink mix that is very palatable. It's just like a light drink that patients can consume with their meals to make sure that they're getting enough of these specific amino acids. And does that have a brand name that you like? Yes, I particularly use Juven by um, Abbott Nutrition. They're the makers of Ensure. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of Ensure. They also do make a wound-specific product called Juven. Okay, that's good to know. Let me take one break, Nancy, because we're halfway through and just remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are taking a clinical route today, and we are speaking with Dr. Nancy Collins. She is a fellow registered dietitian, but her specialty is in wound care, and she's known nationally for her expertise in the complex relationship between malnutrition, body composition, and tissue regeneration. Well, I want to talk about some of these supplements that would make life easier for patients who are undergoing surgery or who have chronic wounds. And um, that has to do with the cost of these supplements. Uh, Does Medicare cover these? Are they fairly expensive in the marketplace? I understand that some people have difficulty accessing these products. Yes, absolutely. Cost is always a concern because nutrition in general is not covered. So these supplements would be out-of-pocket expenses that you have. For Something like Juven, probably the most economical place to buy it would be on Amazon, where you can buy a multi-package that would cover you for a two-week period. Usually, I recommend two packets of Juven a day, and at least for a two-week period. So you're looking at about probably nearly about $5 a day to do that. Mm. But the company does put out some coupons and, and things like that, and sometimes, depending on 
your facility, you can get some samples and things along that line. Yeah. You know what's so crazy to me is that when we talk about nutrition so often, some of these supplements are expensive, but compared to the cost of caring for chronic wounds, it would seem that we'd want to put our money up front in the prevention stage and in the rapid healing stage to save money in the long term. And I wonder, surely with your work in chronic wound care, you've seen some of these figures are we looking at maybe changing policies so that we have more of a preventive mindset in medicine? Well, you would hope that it would be moving in that direction, but I see it moving extremely slowly in that direction. Yeah. Um, they say that treatment costs approximately three times more than prevention costs. So it does seem that it would be more economical, but unfortunately the way the third-party payer system is set up is that they pay to treat rather than to prevent. Yeah. So it definitely would be more, even though it sounds like it's a lot of money to buy some of these amino acid supplements or other supplements or a lot of high quality protein foods. When you're looking sometime at some of these wound dressings, these bandages that we put on the wounds, some of the bandages, a box could be $100 for just bandages that you're going to, you know, have to change frequently to heal this wound. So it's, to me, it's all relative, the cost. But I do understand that sometimes people do have trouble with the recommendations because of the financial constraints. So I do want to remind you that certainly the highest quality protein out there is something as simple as the egg. And eggs are really not very expensive. Uh, I saw the other day at our local supermarket here in Las Vegas, you can get a dozen eggs on sale for $1.99. And so one of the things that I always recommend is that you buy that dozen eggs. And on Sunday night, I do this myself for my family, I hard boil the entire dozen, peel them, put them in my storage container in the refrigerator. And whenever we're looking for a high-protein snack, you can just, ready to go, have that portion controlled, high-protein egg ready to go. Exactly. So there are some ways. Peanut butter is another good source that's inexpensive. Cans of tuna fish is a good source of protein. So you just have to be a little bit creative in looking for things that are economical. Another one that I like to use frequently is Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt is a very good source of protein. And again, you can get that on sale, a big tub of it for just a few dollars. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up a good point, and that is where are we going to get some of the best sources of protein? And there are individuals who refuse to eat meat. They are vegetarian or even vegan. How do you work with those folks in increasing the protein in their diet? Well, certainly there are vegetarians that have obviously met their protein needs because there's been people who have been vegetarian for years and years and years. So they would just use a vegetarian source of protein, whether that's going to be a soy protein or a tofu or there's supplements that are made with pea proteins. And then, of course, there's even commercial supplements now. I work with a company that provides only plant-based, high-calorie, high-protein supplements, and they're quite tasty, and patients seem to enjoy them as well. So there's definitely something out there that can meet the needs of everybody, even depending on what your likes are. You know, I think that traditionally we used to think a lot of the supplements that I would recommend only came in chocolate and vanilla and sweet flavors, but there's orange flavors out now, watermelon flavors out. I had a patient yesterday that I just started on some high-protein ice cream that came in a strawberry flavor, and his wife told me he doesn't eat anything, 
but yet she told me he's enjoying the ice cream and eating that very well. So it's really finding the right product for the right patient at the right time. Um, There's something out there. There's such a variety. You just have to keep trying until you find something that you enjoy particularly. But you have to remember that without the nutritional substrate from which to build new tissue, there's not going to be any healing. Exactly. So it's very important that you get those calories, you get that protein and the vitamins and the minerals, because that's how your body regenerates tissue from the nutritional substrate that we put in it. Exactly. Well, what about vitamins and minerals? Now, you mentioned vitamin C, you mentioned zinc. I do have some concern, and I think you wrote a blog post actually about this as well, and that is vitamin C is water-soluble, so if you take in too much, you will excrete it. You recommended, I believe, 500 milligrams twice a day. What about zinc? Zinc competes with copper at the binding site, and so my understanding from years ago is that you can easily overdose with zinc and then end up with a copper deficiency. How do you talk to your patients about this? Right. Well, you don't want to overload on anything. You know, I practice pretty conservatively. We don't want to do anything too radical. And I would have to look at what someone is eating to see how much zinc that's contributing. If they're taking a multivitamin, that probably has some zinc in it as well. If they're drinking something like an Ensure or taking Juven, that has zinc in it also. So what you really want to look at is your total daily zinc intake. And you don't have to take a zinc supplement every day. I have some patients who I only give a zinc supplement to twice a week or maybe three times a week because that's enough to correct any sort of deficiency that they may have. So the RDA for zinc for men and women is 8 milligrams and 11. So that's for females and for males, respectively. And the recommendation for the upper limit is about 40 milligrams a day. So you don't want to go consistently above that 40 because that's when you can get into a position where you're zinc overloaded. And Mm -hmm. zinc overload is just as detrimental to wound healing as is a zinc deficiency. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you because I think even with COVID, there was recommendations sometimes to take a lot of zinc. And every time I heard that, I thought of a case actually in a local hospital where a gentleman was taking mega amounts of zinc. It was promoted decades ago for virility, and so it was a popular supplement. I don't know if you remember that, but he ended up having a copper deficiency, and it took a smart dietitian on the staff to say, hey, this is what's going on with this patient. Yeah, no, I've had a patient recently that was on zinc for over a year every single day and still had the same exact wound with no progress. At that point, certainly any sort of deficiency would have been corrected, and it's way too long to be on on a zinc supplement. If you're not seeing any progress with your wound, or in fact the wound healing stalls even further, then maybe you didn't have a zinc deficiency and there's no reason to take the supplement. Right. Now let's talk about what happens after the wound heals. So it's my understanding that even though the outward tissue may have healed over underneath that layer of skin, there could still be some vulnerable tissue. How long do you recommend attention to increased protein and some of these extra supplements to make sure that that wound is completely healed? Well, as you say, yes, you'll see the outward healing probably within two weeks if things are going well. But what I notice, particularly in people who've had large incisions like tummy tucks or hysterectomies, there's always that one little area where maybe a a stitch is stuck or there becomes a small opening. 
So, yes, you see that healing outwardly right away, but it definitely weeks and weeks until that internal healing is done. So even if you're saying, oh, well, it looks so good on the outside two weeks later, you don't want to just go back to your diet of fast food or anything like that. You want to keep up with the good nutrition, the adequate protein, the adequate calories, and your vitamins and minerals, and again, adequate fluids. It's pretty warm here in Las Vegas today, and I think a lot of people are getting dehydrated without even knowing it. And you don't want to become dehydrated when you're trying to heal your wound either. So you have to make sure you're getting enough fluids as well every day. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about managing diabetes, because you had spoken about the diabetes ulcers. And how is it or why is it that having an elevated blood sugar will reduce our ability to heal wounds? Well, if your blood sugar is consistently high, so if you're drawing like a hemoglobin A1C and you're not at your target level where you'd like to be, what that means is that your cell walls are quite rigid and that impedes the blood flow to bring that blood flow and circulation to the newly built tissue. And of course, obviously, it's just logical that you're going to need good blood flow and good circulation to newly built tissue to keep it alive. So it's very, very important that you work very hard to get your blood glucose levels under control if you are a person with diabetes and you're trying to heal a wound. Of course, the ultimate, you know, I don't even know what the word is, just it's very sad to me if we ever have to have a patient that we tell they need an amputation or that there's something that we cannot heal, that it's gone too far, that the infection maybe has gotten into the bone or there's gangrene and it's gotten to a point where it's leading to an amputation. I don't think anybody would be happy about that. So you have to work to get your blood glucose under control before it ever even approaches that kind of a condition. Hmm. Nancy, we just have a couple of minutes left. I want to open the floor to you to mention anything that you want our listeners to know that we might not have covered. Well, that if something isn't healing, you really should be going to a wound specialist. And I know sometimes, again, depending, everyone has a different insurance and different constraints with their medical coverage, but you should ask your primary physician, perhaps they don't know everything about wound healing. It's very specialized. There's a lot of treatments that the average primary care physician who's treating a multitude of different diseases maybe isn't that familiar with from using wound backs where we have some negative pressure to hyperbaric oxygen to skin grafting. There's a lot of high-tech treatments and wound healing in itself is a specialty. Like the other day, I had someone tell me they showed me their wound and I said, how long have you had that? And they said, eight months. That's a long time to go before seeking specialized care for something. If you're not healing the way you feel that you should be, seek out your local wound clinic. Just Google local wound care center and you'll find a lot of specialists who deal with only wounds and are really up on all of the latest treatments available. That's great. And I'm hopeful that there would be a registered dietitian on staff with the kind of understanding that you have to help patients navigate the kinds of protein and how much protein and all of the fine details that you've outlined today. We've got to close because we're out of time, unfortunately, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Nancy Collins, 
registered dietitian, certified in wound care, and known nationally for her expertise in the complex relationship between malnutrition, body composition, and tissue regeneration. I will provide a link. It's www.drnancycollins.com for more information. Thank you so much, Nancy, for being with me today and sharing your expertise. Thank you so much for highlighting that sometimes nutrition is that missing piece of the puzzle when you're trying to heal a wound. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.